Don't you love stories like that? Stories about God using our church to make a difference, not just in the world, but in individual people's lives, lives that maybe would have been full of questions and despair and hopelessness otherwise. We are being used by God every day for things just like that. So much so that we've even come to expect it to a certain degree. And that's why we are so pleased today to come together in worship of our living God. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's so good to see you here today. We're glad that you're with us. And uh, my name is Bob Fuller. I'm the senior pastor here at First Presbyterian Church. I want to extend a special welcome today to any of our friends who are here today with the Society of Biblical Literature or the American Theological Society. They're both meeting in Texas this week, and and we're glad to be able to welcome you. If if uh, if you're here, we'd love for you to be in fellowship with, uh, with us throughout this week, and we are glad that you're here today. So thanks for being with us, and thank you for all that you're doing to train, to educate, and to nurture the church with what you're doing. Today we are going to be continuing our study of this small piece of the book of Lamentations, this, this hopeful passage in the midst of Jeremiah's lamentation of his struggle and the plight of his people. So if you would turn with me to Lamentations chapter 3 verses 19 through 26. You've heard these verses for the last couple of Sundays, but but again to really impress them on us, we're going to read them one more time. So Lamentations chapter 3 beginning in verse 19 says this. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, and great is your faithfulness. Just what we were singing this morning. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, and therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him to the soul who seeks him, and it is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. O Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Amidst the changing words of our generation, speak to us your eternal word that does not change. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For it is in the name of your Son, our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. I want to ask you a question. How long do you think you have to wait before you can call a church plant a success? Well, I'm sure that that was not a question on the mind of those 12 Presbyterians who came to San Antonio in 1846. I wondered a lot recently, did they expect all of this, this sanctuary, these, these lights, these cameras, this congregation, this, this congregation of thousands from 12 where generations live and grow together? Did the people who met in the old adobe building imagine this sanctuary or these facilities? Did these settlers with no money ever imagine a budget in the millions? 
Did these missionaries who hoped just to get the Bible into Mexico ever imagine that they would start a church with both a global reach and a local touch? You know, the truth is, I think they were just trying to survive. That first congregation barely made it. But there was something about the grit and the faith of those first Presbyterian pioneers that kept them going. And I believe that that faith, I believe that that grit was that they believed in a great God who was going to do great things. And I also believe that while those dozen or so people could never have imagined this church today, knowing the God they knew, they would have expected it. In the worst of times, in the worst time of his own life, in the life of his people, Jeremiah wanted his people to trust God. The prophet Jeremiah, as he watched Jerusalem burn in 586 B.C., wrote his book of Lamentations. He had seen his neighbors killed and families broken apart. Thousands of his people had been marched off into exile, and the house of God was desecrated and destroyed. Everything that he loved was violated. But into the midst of all that, Jeremiah declared that his faith in God, that his faith in God came from the faithfulness of God. Listen to this again. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning and great is your faithfulness. Two weeks ago, we talked about faith as a function of memory of the past. Jeremiah said, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Faith remembers what God has done. And last week, Mitchell talked about faith as a function of God's love in the present, particularly about how God holds us through even the hardest moments and pain points of our suffering. The prophet said, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, and therefore I will have hope in him. Faith holds on to the belief that no matter how good, bad, or weird things get, the Lord is holding us firmly in his grip and is working all things together for our good and his glory. And today, we're going to talk about faith as a function of expectation for the future. Again, Jeremiah said, the, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. What I love about Jeremiah's attitude is that he has not given up on God. He is not just enduring his troubles. He doesn't resolve on a note of despair. He is waiting with expectation. Now, we all know this. I don't have to tell you, but I'm going to say it anyway. Waiting is hard. How many of us like to wait? Anyone here? Anyone? No one likes to wait. Thought so. Patience is perhaps the most difficult of all of our virtues. 
There's nothing worse than waiting for medical test results, waiting for a college acceptance letter, waiting for someone or something to arrive, waiting for a plane to take off. Oh my gosh, y'all have a story to tell you about last week, but I'll tell you later. (laughs) Waiting for delivery, waiting to hear about a job promotion or waiting to hear about layoffs or cutbacks, waiting for somebody to change or for the circumstances or for the world to change, waiting for somebody to understand or to forgive, waiting for healing, waiting for help, waiting for peace, waiting for some sign or some clarity, waiting for something, but you don't know what. Whatever it is, waiting is not easy. As the late great philosopher and theologian Tom Petty once taught, the waiting is the hardest part. Every day you just see one more card. You take it on faith and you take it to the heart, but the waiting is the hardest part. Aren't you glad I didn't sing this week? Yeah. (laughs) Waiting is the hardest part of faith. And yet Jeremiah says that the Lord is good to those who wait for him. What does that mean? Wait. In Psalm 27, David wrote, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Jeremiah's counterpart, Isaiah, prophesied, they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall run and not faint. But waiting, it sounds so docile. It sounds so inert. It sounds so passive. Wait. What is the meaning of waiting? So out of my own frustration, I did some research. The Hebrew word that was translated here, and I'm sure I'm mispronouncing it, is this. It is the word kawah. Kawah. And while we translate it as wait, it has a much richer meaning than that. Kawah means not just to wait, but to hope for, to look for. In other words, to look forward with confidence to that which is good and beneficial, often with a focus of anticipation in a future event. But what's really interesting is the root of the word. The root of the word kawah means to twist to stretch, to create tension. The root of kawah is the loaded energy created by pulling something to the point of snapback. In this sense, waiting is not inert or docile or passive. It's ready and it's alert like a bowstring that's drawn back, ready to be released. It's taught to its highest point of tension, straining to be let go. Not anxious, but full of purpose, completely loaded with energy, ready to fly. Think about this. It's like a football player in that three-point stance, down, waiting for the snap count. You know what that's like. You all, whoever played football, you guys know what that's like. When you are there and you know it's about to happen and you're just 
ready. It's like a ball, it's like a, like a batter waiting for a pitch. Waiting, but ready. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. Like an arrow, ready to seek its target. And so this waiting is not just waiting. Jeremiah is talking about expectation. Now, Jeremiah makes two critical statements about waiting. First, in verse 25, Jeremiah says that we are not just waiting, we are waiting for him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. We endure in expectation because we believe in a God who is real and we believe in a God who is great. We're not just waiting, biding our time. We're not just spinning our wheels. We're waiting for someone. What's the difference between docile and inert resignation, passive waiting and expectation? The difference, the X factor is God. We're not just waiting on something. We're waiting on someone. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. Jeremiah had hope because he knew that God is real, because he knew that God cared about his people, because he knew that God has the power to make a difference in our lives now and forever. Have you ever had a friend who says, you know what, things just always seem to work out. You ever notice that that friend is always just kind of sitting there while other people are making those things work out? Things work out because people make them work out. And who is the person who makes them work out? When we're waiting, when we're waiting expectantly, that person is the Lord. It's God who is working his purpose out, and it's God who gives us hope and expectation. But Jeremiah was also telling them, we not only have a great God, we have a God who does great things. We expect great things from him. Verse 26 says, it is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. We're not just waiting for something. We are waiting for the best of what God has to offer. We are waiting for his salvation. Jeremiah is saying we expect great things to work out because we have a God who has done great things. Jeremiah remembered a God who made a covenant with our father Abraham, who brought us out of Egypt, who gave us his law, who made us his own family and gave us a home and established the house of his servant David King forever. And now he has done this and we wait for him. And Jeremiah is saying that just as Israel, or just as God did great things for Israel in the past, they should expect great things from him in the future. And what should we expect from God? Jeremiah says we should expect nothing less than salvation. Jeremiah says we wait for salvation. We expect salvation for the world, for the people we love. We even dare to expect it for ourselves. What does it mean to say that we expect salvation? It means that we, expecting, that we expect nothing less than the best 
of what God has to offer now and forevermore. And we endure in the expectation of God's best. Jeremiah said to wait for the Lord and to expect great things. But as if having to wait for God is not hard enough, Jeremiah also said, wait quietly. Now, waiting is hard enough. If you've ever had to wait with me, you know it's hard to wait quietly. We've always got something to say about having to wait, don't we? Well, what does it mean to wait quietly? Here's what I believe that Jeremiah is saying, given the context. He says, if we wait quietly, that means that we wait peacefully. We wait confidently. We wait patiently. We wait without grumbling or complaint. Proverbs says, a fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. The quiet waiting that Jeremiah describes is not like me sitting in an airplane seat grumbling because I have to wait for the plane to take off. No, this kind of waiting is the waiting like a rock cliff that patiently waits for the hurricane to end. It will not be moved, but you will not hear it grumble or fuss or complain either. Jeremiah is getting at something very important. He's getting at the fact that our faith, our profession of faith, our confidence in God cannot just be talk. It has to be demonstrated in the steadfastness of our lives. We don't just talk a big game. We prove it. We prove our trust with our lives. We literally put our money where our mouths are. We let our actions speak louder than our words. It's not just talking about faith, saying we believe it. It's living like we mean it. Do we really believe in the kingdom of God? Then we don't talk about it. We live like our lives depend on it. We live like it makes a difference. We live like it matters. We don't just talk about worship. We worship like it matters. We don't just pray. We pray like it matters. We study like it matters. We take care of one another like it matters. We tell the people we know in our work, in our neighborhoods, at school, we tell them about the grace of God in Jesus Christ like it matters. We serve like it matters. And we commit our time we dedicate our resources. We leverage our connections and relationships like it matters. Instead of grumbling, we pray. We worship. Instead of collapsing, we live like we know that God is going to do great things. You know, one of our late pastor, Louis Abendon's most beloved sermons was about this waiting period between God's promise and expected fulfillment. 
It was called In the Meantime. It was based on another prophecy of Jeremiah in which the Lord told the exiles in Babylon to wait quietly, not to wallow in complaint or misery, but in the meantime to build houses and live in them to plant gardens and eat their produce, to take wives and have sons and daughters, to take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not decrease. He says, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. What God is saying through Jeremiah is that we don't know how long we have to wait, but in the meantime, the Lord says, live like it matters. In the meantime, do what he has called you to do. How long do we wait? The prophets beg to know. How long, O Lord, must we sing your song in a foreign land? Jeremiah was praying and waiting for the salvation of his people. He was praying that his country would be restored, that grieving families would be comforted, and that broken families would be reunited, that scars would be healed, and one day his people would be free and his home rebuilt. But the prayers for salvation that he prayed are not unlike the prayers we pray when we're broken or we're in trouble. That restoration, that healing, didn't come for nearly a century. But whatever immediate relief or hope or salvation Jeremiah had in mind for Israel, I want to say this, that God had bigger plans even still. Because while Jeremiah was praying for the restoration of his people, this passage we've read today points to the fact that the Lord was already preparing for the restoration and reconciliation of all humanity. Even though the people were allowed to return home and rebuild 70 years after they were dragged off into exile, the final satisfaction of Jeremiah's waiting didn't come for another 600 years. At that time, a man named Joseph and his young wife Mary brought their infant son to the temple to be circumcised. There they were met by an old man, a prophet named Simeon, who according to Luke's gospel was told by the Holy Spirit that he would not die until he had seen the Messiah. He had been waiting his whole life for this moment. And listen to what he said. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Jeremiah prayed for the salvation of the Lord. And after 600 years, the Lord kept his promise. Simeon's words are not a coincidence. They are a fulfillment. For my eyes have seen your salvation. In Jesus Christ, God did something far greater than even Jeremiah imagined. Because in the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God not only saved Israel, he saved you, and he saved me. 
Do we still believe in a great God who does great things? Are you waiting for God to do great things in your life? And if so, what are you waiting for? Do you believe that there is a real God who is going to do great things? Not just in your life, but in this church? Do you believe in a God who is using this church for the love of his son, for the love of this community, and for the love of this city? Our whole faith is expectation. Waiting for nothing less than the best of what God offers through the life, death, and resurrection of His Son, Jesus Christ. Do we expect God to do something worth waiting for? We wait with expectation. We wait with quiet confidence and without complaint because we are waiting for Him and in Him, expecting great things from Him. Those dozen or so people who came to San Antonio with John McCullough in 1846 could never have imagined this church today. But I do believe they expected it because they believed in a great God who was going to do great things. Will you pray with me? Oh, Lord, we, we come to you today knowing that you have called us not simply to receive that which you have given, but to use it for your purposes. We ask you now, oh God, to inspire us, to quicken us, and to help us to dedicate ourselves to your great purposes. Help us to expect great things from you.